And hello, everybody. Welcome to Paul Listick Behind the Curtain. Well, we take a break from all the politics I cover on the on the TV side, and we get to talk about the arts in Chicago here on this podcast for WGN Radio. And today we do something really sort of interesting, a little bit different in the city, depending on your experience over the last couple of years with the notion of immersive arts, because today we're talking about a new exhibit recently opened in Chicago called Immersive King Tut Magic Journey to the Light. You'll learn a lot more about it and how this fits into the scheme of all the immersive programs that have been going on here in Chicago. Joining me, Richard Uzunian, who is the uh, creative consultant for the creation of the King Tut exhibit. Richard, thanks for joining me. Hey, happy to be here. So people who have been paying attention to this kind of exhibit over the last couple few years, it of course all began with Vincent van Gogh, and then came Frida Kahlo, then came uh, Monet, but now when we get to King Tut, we really take a turn. This exhibit, in my view, and I have, I have seen it, I have been there, this is different from the previous ones. Absolutely. And that was intentional, Paul. You know, we had had terrific luck with the artists, and we started out knowing that we would play into the artist's field for a while, but we always knew we were going to have to change. And, uh, you know, we have to, it takes about a year to prepare these things at least. And we were discussing a year ago, and somebody flagged to us that this November 4th is the 100th anniversary of the discovery of the tomb of King Tut. And we thought, now that's an interesting idea for an immersive show. Because what we wanted to do was to get behind what most people think of. When they think King Tut, they think, oh yeah, there was a lot of gold, there was a lot of jewels, there was a lot of coffins, that kind of stuff. But we wanted to concentrate on where did that all come from. It came out of the Egyptian reverence for the dead and how they felt that when you died, you went on a journey and you had to fight the battle with the forces of the underworld to get into a happily ever after life. And that's what went on in that tomb. That's why those tombs were all stocked with so much equipment and gold and jewels and things. And we thought, why don't we forget about the trinkets and concentrate on what went on? And so we take you to that 12-hour struggle between life and death, light and darkness that King Tut went through in the tomb after it was sealed shut. You know, that and that explanation you just gave truly addresses uh, one of the questions I was going to have right up front, because in the previous Van Gogh, Kahlo, Monet exhibits, it is their artwork. We, you take us through their life as we see what they created, and it's, it's educational, it's enjoyable uh, in, in every way. And this one, I will admit to you that when I went, I thought, well, this is probably going to be a tour of all of the beautiful things inside King Tut's tomb. This would be a walking tour of the tomb. You've just explained what it is, and it is anything but that. Uh, and so I, I want right. to ask you, so it, it's an interesting twist, but, I, but did, did anybody sort of say, yeah, but let's show this stuff in the tomb? <laughs> Was that a part of the discussion? Well, or no, everybody agreed up front? No. We did, we did face that when we started proposing it, but you know, part of the reason this big turn came from is Shortly after the last King Tut exhibit, which is about 20 years ago, the Egyptian government said no more. These were artifacts of our religion and culture and our deep personal beliefs, and we've been treating them like they were a circus show. And, and in fact, that's a tendency that's happened if you look around a lot of the world, things that we used to kind of say, oh, yeah, that's cool. Look at that. Oh, look at that cultural thing. We'll appropriate it. We'll use it. 
People aren't doing that anymore. And so the Egyptian government took all their stuff and put it into a beautiful museum. Uh, and, and so we knew that wasn't on the table, but we thought, but if we wanted to keep King Tut on the table, if we take away the what, and why don't we replace it with the how, when, where, who, you know? Like, why was that tomb? Why did they have big tombs? What went on in those tombs? What was their belief? Because, you know, some religions say that basically Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, are, have all been the same over the generations, basically. But the ancient Egyptian religion is gone. And it, it seems a shame to let it vanish. It was a beautiful, poetic way of looking at the world. It also gives you something to think about. You know, when you're in the ground, do you suddenly fight a battle with the underworld, or is it too late, or whatever? You know, um, we thought it gave you something to explore. And best of all, this is why we wanted to grab it. We believe in immersive. If you are in the tomb with King Tut and all of this is happening around you, it can't get more immersive than that. Well, very true. And you obviously got it right because I know one of the, uh, you've got some partners in this venture, but it's all done under the auspices of the Egyptian Council for Tourism Affairs, which means, I'm guessing, Egypt has given their blessing to this. Oh, yeah. They're, they're thrilled that we're taking this approach uh, because it's an approach. It's not about, you know, send us your five best coffins and we'll put them on display. Right. And in fact, we, we've worked with Egyptologists to make sure that everything that's in our exhibit is historically, historically and factually correct, because that's what we believe. Um, and, and I have to tell you, none of us knew a lot of this before we started working on it. Like most people, we thought, oh yeah, King Tut, lots of gold, lots of jewels. Steve Martin did a funny version of him. You know, the boy Pharaoh. We had a handful of things. We didn't really know what went into it. And um, our growth and discovery, I think, is something in a small way we can pass on to our audiences. And let's not forget Victor Buono's uh, presentation of King Tut as a villain on the Batman series in 1966. Uh, there you go. Okay. You see, he's, it's very funny. You know, if you, if you shook most people and say, name one Egyptian pharaoh, most of them would say King Tut, right? Uh, That's right. And it's strange because he was not... He was not one of the five most famous, the 10 most famous, the 25 most famous. Uh, he only lived for eight or nine years as a pharaoh. He was 19 years old when he died. He, he did some good things, but not a lot. Why do we remember him? Because his was the only tomb that was left unrobbed and unspoiled at the start of the 20th century. And do, do you know why that happened? This is no, tell me. died suddenly when he was young, very suddenly. And he didn't have time, they didn't have time, to build that giant tomb that they always had. You know, they took 20 years to build those. So what they had to do, the, the Egyptian religion demanded you be buried within 30 days. They had to find a tomb that was available. And there was a tomb that was being built, obviously, for some lesser Egyptian lord. But it was ready. And so they put Tut in it, and they filled it with all of his artifacts, and they sealed it shut. But it wasn't out there in the Valley of the Kings with all the others. And after about five years, the sand blew over it. And for 3,000 years, nobody discovered it. Nobody could rob it because they didn't even know it was there. There was one 
Egyptologist named Howard Carter, who believed it had to be there somewhere and kept searching and searching and searching. And he was about to give up one day when the guy who was pouring water into their jugs kicked at something, and it turned out to be a step. And they cleared that step. They went to the bottom, and there was a tomb sealed shut with King Tut's royal seal on it. And that's how they discovered it. And am I right? And his body, the most mummified, I mean, the most intact even body that they ever found. Absolutely. So it gave us more insight into the process of mummification. And also, we were able to perform DNA on it. You know, like, what did Tut look like? Um, We found interesting things, like one of his legs had been broken in several places. And it's conjectured, putting it together with pictures and, and things we have from the period, he loved to ride his chariot. And he loved to ride it very fast. He might have had accidents. He also, there is evidence in his system of yellow fever. Could he have died of malaria? You know? And also, he, he was short, and he had a bit of scoliosis. So we learned all these things about the real touch. You know, it makes you wonder what you could have learned about everybody if you had gotten there in time. Fascinating stuff. The one thing, that I, as I watched it and realized what it was going to be, because, again, I went in expecting to see one thing. I saw something different. So I, I sort of adjusted as I watched. And one of the things that struck me was, in all the previous immersives, well, the body of work available to you is easy enough because it's the artwork for the artist. But here, you must have had a whole team of artists. I mean, you, you couldn't really rely uh, on artwork the way you did, did with previous exhibits. Here, you had to do a lot of creating. That's it, exactly. And it's one of the reasons we went to a new team here. Uh, we still love Massimiliano Sicardi, who did all our other shows, and we're still working with him. But we thought we needed a different voice, so we went to this very young, cutting-edge company from Mexico City called Coco Lab. And they do astonishing work down there. And Corey Ross and Svetlana Doretsky, our, our two lead producers, discovered them and thought, we need people who can create poetic images who can make this all happen, uh, rather than just people who can, you know, find another form of art in the existing paintings. We knew we needed creators here, and I think they rose to the occasion beautifully. One of the things that's also different about this, in my view, uh, with all the previous ones, it really didn't matter when you walked in. You could get there and they'd say, well, there's about 15 minutes left of this one, but you just went in because you picked it up when it started. But here the advice was different, um, which was because I was a bit early, and they said, you know, you might want to wait until this one starts because this one, unlike the others, much more of a narrative and a story to be told. Absolutely. And now I have to tell you, I'm in the minority on the staff, but I was fighting for the beginning, even from Van Gogh days, to make everybody go in at the beginning and see it through to the end. Because I believe that that is how it was created, and it had much greater power if you saw it from the beginning through to the end. And I think watching what's happening with King Tut now, the powers that be are starting to realize that probably is the way we should sell our shows. I know the, the next couple that we're creating are all being created on the template that you come at the beginning and you see it through to the end. You don't walk in like we used to do in the old days of the movies, right, when it was a, a double feature kind of thing. So I think it is important that you see it through. We usually have enough stuff out in our venue to look at, you know, uh, all kinds of exhibits about Tut and other artists and, you know, the merchandise department and all kinds of things, especially in Chicago. 
the building there at Germania Hall is an incredible place to go and wander around. You know, it's, it, it's tremendous. So I don't think you lose anything by waiting and seeing it from start to finish. Well, I agree. And there, well, listen, there's also the gift shop. So because I was early, I chose to wait for it to start. I went into the gift shop. And although I guess I'm so early in the exhibit, we didn't have any of the King Tut socks in yet. So there's some other things. But, uh-huh. um, but yeah, and there's a bar and there's um, I, I haven't seen this in a while, but you know, or whether they still do this. But there was um, at least during the Van Gogh days, there was an artist in residence. So you could actually go visit with another artist who was painting in the Van Gogh style. Is that is that something that was just tied to Van Gogh or, or did I just not go there yeah, at a time we, when an artist we, was there? We've, we've had that with the, we've had that with the other art exhibits. We're not doing it with Tut because, you know, there are no contemporary Egyptian pictograph artists, right, doing what they did in the in the tomb there. But we have been doing it with uh, other other artists, as you know, as the exhibits have gone across North America. It's always interesting to remember, you know, we have twenty twenty one venues across North America, and I have to keep track of what's playing at which one. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's oh yes, because not you know not every show, every city has the same show at the same time. Well, and the beauty of it was because I, I went on a Sunday and I saw the um, the one thirty King Tut. It was it was going to be the last one of the day because the one after that was going to be Monet. So the other beautiful thing about what happens is it's not as though Monet has to leave because Tut is coming in because you can just no, run right. things in sort of in, in right in, in um, just run them together. Yeah, it, and even depending on the turnaround time, at one point in Toronto, for example, we had four shows running at once. Now, you couldn't see all four on the same day, but you could see two one day, two the next day, you know, and it's like repertory theater used to be, right? Uh, and it's great because eventually, if, as we hope, our, our palette is expanding to include classical music, pop music, other historical events, as well as artists. Uh, you know, Disney is coming. We're, we're in the middle of preparations for the immersive Disney animation show. Uh, it's a whole new world. You know, we believe if you treat it properly, you can adapt almost anything to this world and people seem to be liking it. So I was naive when I, I did an interview, uh, uh, for when Van Gogh first opened, it was so different. It was brand new at the time. I would never seen anything like it. And I sort of expected at the time, uh, I said, so who's next? Will it be Picasso? Will it be Erte? Because in my view at that time, naive as I was, I saw nothing ahead except one artist after the other. And what you just shared, Richard, is the notion of, no, 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 you're being naive, Paul, because that's only one genre. We have many genres. We can go very very excited to hear that there may be Disney and music, maybe the Beatles, who knows what's in the, in the, in the works. Right. Oh no. And that's it. We, you know, Svetlana and Corey were lured into this by when they saw immersive Van Gogh in Paris and they had a concept for wanting to do more immersive art. And I think they knew, and when they started to talk to Massimiliano, they said, let's, let's stay with artists for the first year or so, you know, so they could build a brand and build that going. But now that, you know, we've been open for over two years now from the beginning we started in, in Toronto, and so it's time for something different. And then so Tut is one different thing. Disney will be another different thing. Um, and then I can't reveal them, but there's the next one after Disney is going to be different in another way yet again. You can't tell me, huh? Nah, sorry. 
to cut okay. my hands and fingers off. Ah, <laughs> uh, we can't. We can't have that. And the other thing I want to remember, and assuming that you do go into that sort of music, and man, when I think of Disney, this is so beautiful. One of the things people need to understand is if they haven't been to any of these immersives, you don't walk in and look at the wall in front of you, and only look at the wall in front of you, and then have it. People need to understand the 360 effect of all of this and right. the incredible sound system that you must have paid a fortune to have installed. Oh, well, it, the sound system is tricky, and I'll share something with you. Van Gogh, uh, and, uh, Tut is the first show that had spoken words, right? The arts yes, right. haven't. We have spoken narration. We had to recalibrate all our sound systems yet again to make way for the spoken word, because... You know, any good audio technician will tell you that if you're listening to music, it's one kind of a calibration. If you're listening to spoken voice, it's another. So now we now we know what we have to do if there's going to be spoken voices as well. And, of course, with Disney, there's going to be sung voices because we have to do the greatest Disney songs from these movies, too. Well, and knowing how Disney is about rights and all those kind of things, can I assume that you are doing it in partnership with Disney? Oh, absolutely. Oh, this is all done totally hand-in-glove with them. They've been incredibly generous and supportive in opening the work of their animation studios to us uh, and, and discussing everything. But, you know, there, there is, there's, like, Disney is very particular about how they want things represented. Uh, they don't tell you what to do, but, you know, you're not going to take Mickey Mouse and have him do something stupid, right? <laughs> you're not going to take a beloved song from a movie and hold it up to ridicule. We don't do things like that. But we are going to be able to splice and cut and edit things together to create an even bigger composite, like I'll just give you one thing to think about, and I can't go into too many details. One of our favorite pieces in the Disney show is that we do, in effect, a tribute to all the villains from the animated Disney movies. Uh. So, and you see, so you've got that coming. It's not just, oh, here's a chunk of Little Mermaid. Here's a chunk of Beauty and the Beast. We discover themes that have been in the Disney films since the beginning and weave them together. Just like Tut is about the struggle between life and death. You know, everything, everything we do has to be about something bigger than it just seems to be. That's why they last, and that's why they have resonance. Just amazing. I remember I also do a television show on Broadway uh, called Broadway Backstage, and I remember when I did the Disney cast of Aladdin, you better believe Legal was sitting in the audience and afterwards telling us, okay, that question's coming out. Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're very active. <laughs> They are, they are, but they have a right um, to be. You know, they've got yeah. one of the best brands in the world, so don't let people know. Exactly. Now, I don't know if this is true of the other, you know, I've only been to the, I see all your, the immersives at the Chicago location, as you say, in Germania Place, and it, the building is, it's almost like it was made for this. I mean, just the white walls, everything's a screen, the 360 works. I'm sort of curious, is it that, and I don't know how old the building is, but it's, it's certainly old, is it that kind of environment in all the other cities you have these in? Uh, is it, you have to find the building first, the space first, or how does that work? Well, the amazing thing is if you went to every one of them, they are all 100% different. That's the fascinating thing. We find buildings that usually, we don't build anything, right? We find right. a building that had another use. Like in Toronto, our home is the ground two floors of the city's largest newspaper, which used to print on site and doesn't anymore. So the Immersive Van Gogh Studio is what used to be the printing press area for the Toronto Star. Oh. Uh, 
in in Nashville, where we're opening King Tut this weekend, we took over a supermarket and repurposed that to fit our needs. You know, it's like that's that's what's intriguing. We usually take a building that had a home in the community somewhere and adapt it for our purposes. We don't build anything from scratch. That's it. I'd love to go to the supermarket, pick up some grapes on your way home out the door. I don't know how that works. But, uh, <laughs> so I, and by the way, something else I'm going to share. Right. You know, ordinarily, I, when I've gone before, I have gone up again, Germania Place. I've been upstairs in that sort of, um, uh, I wouldn't call it a balcony, but it's just the upper level and sort of looking down. And I really liked it. This time, I tried something different. Um, I sat on the main floor because that's where those seem to be the seats that everybody wants. But I got to tell you, and I don't know whether you have a preference, I like being on that upper level and, and surveying over it all. Oh, I do too. Uh, but I think I usually like it after I've seen it conventionally. You know, I don't know if I would like that to be my first and only view of it. Uh, I think it's best to see it on the floor, and then, you know, you can come back again, or you can stay and see it twice if it's not sold out that day, and, uh, and, and watch it from the top. And it's a much more interesting view. I mean, that's the other thing. This is a show that can improve the more times you see it. And that, by the way, is important to note, because if you do come late, early, whatever, they don't, at least my experience has been, I've been there several times, I'm never thrown out. I mean, you talk about being sold out, and I'm sure they do, but I'm always sort of allowed to stay and, and watch it run through again or something if I, if I felt I've missed something and I want to take something else in. Right. Cool. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, which is, that's a great part of it, truly. So, and am I also right, I, in reading through everything, I'm not seeing a, a, a closing date on this, which is good. It seems like an open run, although you've talked about the Disney thing. So talk, talk about the schedule. Do, when do we expect maybe the, 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 it sounds like Disney's next, the Disney to come in, and does King Todd eventually get phased out? How quickly must people get over and see it, aside from the fact that they should get over and see it quickly anyway, because it's great? Well, you can never, t- you can never tell, because sometimes a show we think is going to be a big popular favorite isn't and it closes quickly. That happens. Not in Chicago, I have to tell you, but it's happened in other cities. Um, I think the best thing to do is to go as soon as you can, because A, you can tell other people you saw it first and tell them what they're missing and all of that, but uh, the, the Disney rollout is going to be complex. You know, we have to roll it out in Toronto first, make sure all the bugs are out of it, and then bring it out to all our other places. So I would say there's not a rush to go through, but always better to see it when you can. Um, yeah, and then and again, what I love about it is, and there's different packages because you can get a premium package, you get a cushion to sit on, which is a little more comfortable when you're on the main floor. Uh, there's one that includes a drink, so you get a poster on your way out the door. So there's also different sort of packages people can put together um, and, and have sort of enjoy it with the family and that sort of thing with some special perks. Yeah, so that's it. And you can do a group to come. You can do all kinds of things. It's really fascinating. Well, you, can get uh, you know, I find that they, you can, they used to do yoga with Van Gogh, you know? Uh, I think <laughs> they still do. Uh, and, and they also were selling date nights, you know, uh, where you could get private spaces to sit and stuff. So it's a, it's, a, it's a people's entertainment. We try to do things that will make it adaptable, comfortable, appealing to our audience. 
Absolutely. It is, it's a great date night kind of thing. Uh, just a lot of fun. And by the way, as you know, Chicago, you know, all you have to do is fall out the front door and you're pretty much on Wells Street. So, you know, even if you just go right. to enjoy the exhibit, you're going to have lunch, dinner. You're going to stay in that old town area. Second City is right there. What a great neighborhood you're in. Just a little bit outside of all the craziness, but a few steps away. And really, it's, it's a whole day, a whole evening. That's great. Anyway, Paul, listen, I'm sorry. I have to run now. Uh, I'm going to let you go, Richard. I'm going to encourage people to go. Absolutely. I'm going to encourage people to get tickets at immersive-kingtut.com, immersive-kingtut.com. Richard Azunian, a creative consultant, thanks for being with me. Wait for the Disney show. See you next time. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you want to know more about what we've talked about here, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Paul Lisnick. That's P-A-U-L-L-I-S-N-E-K. And I'd love to hear your comments or topic suggestions for future podcasts. You can also go to my website, paullisnick.tv. And hey, don't forget to hit subscribe on WGN Plus and iTunes. And tune in each week to hear more Insider Scoop coming to you from behind the curtain.